Touchdown! Joshua Cribbs turns disaster into a score! Ugly, misformed little creature who has no purpose here, no meaning. I am a human being. Wash it down with one beer, two beers, three beers, a shot of whiskey, a margarita, and a bloody Mary. Said Stone Cold, why have one when you can have them both? Swung out and drill, deep right center, away back, gone for Tony. Irving and Curry, one on one. Irving puts it up. It's good. Kyrie Irving from downtown. Uh, Senator Hillary Rodham Clinton. Awful. How is she awful? Takes freedom. And now, Any Given Podcast with your hosts, Brendan Ward and Ethan Simpson. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Any Given Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brendan Ward, sitting right here next to my main man. Ethan Simpson, how are you? We're going to go ahead and get right on into it. Tough week for fantasy for me. Uh, down two points heading into Monday night's matchup. Was hoping for Baltimore to score quite a few points just so that defense that I was playing against wouldn't score anymore so I could walk away with a W. But we all know how Baltimore played. Now I'm sitting at 1-2 and two on the season after talking all this crap. Yeah, so uh, Mr. 1-13 over here smoked Brendan's dude. I had to. Boy, prime time. 151 to 113. You know, I was supposed to have the worst record. I was supposed to be last. Now I'm in fifth. I don't know. Hey, that's just me. Hey, 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 hey. If I wouldn't have lost my top three running backs, I'd be sitting pretty, pretty, sitting pretty all right, too. Hey, I lost my top running back, too. Hey, I lost Christian McCaffrey, man. Don't even get to go there with me. Christian McCaffrey, uh, James Conner has been playing like crap. Then I had Tariq Cohen. He's gone now, too. So James Robinson from Jacksonville better step up because I need him to show out because he's my number two running back for the rest of the year now. Well, I lost my boy Raheem, so I had to put in Fournette. Fournette only put up four points. That was disappointing, but I also have my guy, Josh Allen. As Boomer said last night, Jared Allen, but... He has been on fire. He is a stud. He almost put up 40 last on uh, Sunday. I mean. I tweeted something just for you yesterday, and you didn't even like it or anything. I probably didn't see it. I was pretty disappointed. I tweeted something like, Josh Allen is going to be the front runner for MVP after three weeks. And it's just simply the case right now. (laughs) I must have dropped the ball on that. Dropped the ball on that one because, without a doubt, Josh Allen is going to – him or Russell Wilson have to be the top two leading MVP candidates right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, moving on from our fantasy updates, the Any Given Podcast fantasy updates, we're going to go right into a fantastic interview with Cleveland legend, uh, U.S. U.S. legend, soccer legend, Mr. Otto Orr. We are sitting here in the midst of a legend, a Cleveland legend, a U.S. legend, an indoor soccer legend, Otto Orff. Otto, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, coming out and joining us. 
for this podcast. Usually we do it over Skype. Uh, it's actually nice to have somebody in studio with us. Uh, how do you like the studio? It looks great. Um, I'm impressed. I was happy to see you guys here uh, when I came in the other day. The backdrop is awesome. Thank you. I hope I'm not messing that up when I'm sitting in the middle here. But no, it looked great, and um, I'm excited to be on the show. Right on. Well, thank you. You brought some of your memorabilia. You brought the, brought the uh, 1994 championship trophy, so that is awesome. So let's get into uh, some questions. You played 21 years uh, in indoor soccer. You played seven years on the U.S. futsal national team. Correct. And you started in 1984 with the Buffalo Storm. Um, do you want to kind of get into how you started into indoor soccer? Well, indoor soccer uh, came about in 1978-79 as uh, an exhibition game between uh, the Russian Red Army and uh, a t another team in, in New York that they, uh, you know, they put on an exhibition and decided to, to try to Americanize the sport a little bit. And when that happened, um, it really took off. We have a lot of venues in the country that uh, were hockey rinks with boards. Soccer was not really uh, an attractive sport to many American sports fans at the time because it kind of slow paced, not a lot of scoring. So when they added the boards, the turf, the closer goals, and um, the contact, the action, um, even though the, the understanding of the game might not have been there, the action, action was there and the activity was there. So it started to become really popular. And I never played soccer till the middle of high school, you know, my, my sophomore year in high school, actually. So I was a fan of that game. And I used to go and watch the games and take most of my dates to uh, an indoor soccer game with the Buffalo Stallions. And um, when I was a junior in college at University of Buffalo, I rode my bike to a tryout. Um, the Buffalo Storm was going bankrupt. And they got rid of their goalkeeper who was, uh, had his family over here from Poland, and they asked me to uh, try out. I tried out, actually a good friend of mine, Rudy Pikasinski, who played for the Canton Invaders, um, he asked me to come try out. He said, you should come. So I went and I tried out and they signed me after a day just because they needed a backup. And through a great network of friends that I met in those few months that I played on that team, um, I kind of quit college and chased my dream. I, I moved to Boston and played in a Portuguese league from there, I went to Toronto and played in uh, an ethnic league up there. Um, I made my way down to uh, Canton, and I tried out, and I got cut indoor. And, um, and so I went back to Canton and played outdoor again. And then I got called to Columbus, and I, I played a half a season in Columbus. That team folded, ended up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And from Fort Wayne, I got my, my real opportunity to make it kind of to the bigs, as they say. Um, the American Indoor Soccer Association was a league based on just two green cards and the rest had to be Americans, where the MISL at the time was full of foreigners. So I got my chance in San Diego to go and, um, and try out. I signed two 10-day contracts and ended up signing for the rest of the season. The San Diego Soccers won the championship that year. And then I was headed over to uh, Croatia. I had been playing outdoor, and I was going to go live in the stadium at Dinamo Zagreb and um, Kai Hoskovi. The, the Cleveland indoor soccer legend mm -hmm. who was from Finland. He, um, he called me up, and I postponed my trip to Croatia for a week, and um, they ended up signing me here. In my quest to, uh, to play, I had defaulted on my student loans for about six years, and I decided that um, signing a contract and actually getting paid might be better than going over to war-torn Yugoslavia and, 
and trying to, um, you know, trying to be sold or, or make a team in Europe. So I ended up staying here in Cleveland, and it turned out to be a good decision. I mean, we had a great run here in Cleveland, and that's how my indoor soccer and soccer career really started. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot more sense than, like you said, paying off the student loans, getting paid, <laughs> instead of going to war-torn countries. Um, yeah, so coming to Cleveland, you came to Cleveland in 89. Correct. Played until 04, the 04 season? That's right. Yeah, I was assistant coach that last year, yeah. Okay. So with that being said, you, you found your home in Cleveland. In Kent, actually. In Kent. There you go. <laughs> Recording live from the beautiful Kent stage in downtown Kent, Ohio. Um, so just being here for that long, what has the city and the state, Northeastern Ohio, meant to you? Well, it's, uh, you know, I have so many stories and, uh, I actually have a charity and we just did our charity golf outing last week. And the, the guys that I invite, the guys from the Browns, the Cavs, the Indians that come out to support at the former pros, um, that whole network of people, you know, we... We had a, these two guys in front of me in bobblehead form, Hector and Zoran. We had a, a great general manager who put together a great core of a team, and he kept it together for over a decade. And that core ended up winning three championships, but going to the finals seven times. And um, when I came to Cleveland, I didn't know anything about Cleveland. I didn't know about the history of football in, in Canton area. I didn't know much about the Indians, but I went to college to pitch baseball. And after the Cleveland Indians golf outing, the first year I played, I did a lot of charity stuff and those golf outings were real popular. And so um, I actually got to go to Mel Harder's house. And you know, this guy threw out the first pitch and the last pitch at the old municipal stadium, um, a legend in the Cleveland uh, oh, baseball yeah. lore. And you know, he's just one of the guys that, that I got to meet. But um, you know, sitting at a table with Marion Motley or, or talking to Dante Lavelli and playing golf with them. And, and then, you know, the basketball guys, Austin Carr and, and Wayne Embry. I always talk about Wayne Embry and, and Lenny Wilkins. Um, so, you know, I got to meet, not only meet a lot of these guys, but, but they were, they're great guys, and, and a lot of them stayed around. It's crazy that a lot of athletes don't want to come here to Cleveland because of the weather, and there's so mm -hmm. many other great choices. But the guys who came here fell in love with the city. And it's a lot like the blue-collar city that I'm from in Buffalo, New York. So, uh, you know, a steel town, and the fans are diehard fans. And when you win here, they t the fans take care of you. And, you know, oh, yeah. to this day, um, you know, we just had the 25th anniversary of that championship, and a lot of people came out to that game, and, and we get recognized. And now the kids that we coached when we were young, they're adults, and they have their own kids. And, and so it's kind of sad that... Um, that the, the team fell apart, but it's also uh, it's also great to be part of, of Cleveland sports history. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, growing up, I had all the crunch posters and sign balls and whatnot. Um, I actually forgot to bring the one that's at my house uh, that we talked about <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, absolute legend. Like I said, Cleveland legend. Uh, I think everybody growing up, even my friends that weren't sports fans, they had – crunch memorabilia everywhere just because you know growing up around that time so you played in uh 485 total professional games oh, and you had that's nice to know 246 wins with only 192 losses so pretty good record there you had a save yeah. percentage of uh 
.648. So, I mean, your numbers. Well, numbers I don't know don't those lie. stats, and maybe, you know, all I can tell you is that when I first came here and, and when we first started, and when I first started in the Major Indoor Soccer League, our union was the National Football League Players Association. Mm -hmm. And all the salaries were on the table. You, you knew what every other player in the league made. So statistics were huge as far yeah. as negotiating for your next contract. And if you look at the back of my soccer card the first couple of years I played here, I think I was 3-13. and 13. And the reason being that when I came here, P.J. Johns, who, who um, lives in Silver Lake to this day, he, um, he had played for the force. Mm -hmm. And although I made the team, right after I made the team, they brought P.J. back. And P.J. started the first game and had a shutout, which is so rare in indoor soccer. And I was kind of, you know, kind of bummed because I'm like, all right, now I got to sit behind this guy. But, I, but, but what happened was when you have double headers or back-to-back -back games, mm -hmm or you play at home and the next night you play on the road, I got to play those second games. Okay. So being the, being the second string goalkeeper was, um, you know, you get to play the games that are less likely to win or when the older goalkeeper is fresher, you know. And, and so statistically that, that hurts. At the, but, but over time, I guess if you play long enough, the stats kind of evened out. So. Yeah, like, like I was saying, it's, uh, those stats are some good numbers right there. So you were saying, um, <laughs> you were saying when you when you first came in, they, did they tell you initially that you were going to be the starting goalkeeper? No. What happened? It's kind of a crazy story because when I came here, I um, they had just signed a goalkeeper from Los Angeles Lasers, um, Chris Pete, and Chris had moved from I think Wichita. He went from uh, well, he was playing in L.A. He ended up in Wichita, but he had moved, and his wife worked for American Airlines, I believe, and so he had moved here, and when you work for the airline, you get to move one time, you know, once mm. in a year, and then you can... So he had moved here with his wife. Well, I had... Um, I, I was playing, and I thought I was going to be his backup, and then when they brought PJ back from Tacoma, they had to let one of us go. And so they had, we had two exhibition games, preseason games. It was the first time I played in the Coliseum, and it was 19,000 people in the Coliseum. And I had a really good game, and, um, and they decided, probably because I was the cheaper of the two, I was new, I didn't have an, wasn't established, but I played well enough that I could be the backup for PJ. And so um, they released Chris Pete. Okay. So he ended up in Wichita, and his wife had to stay here for that year because he had just <laughs> moved her here. And so, uh, and Chris and I were friends, and, um, but anyway, that's how, how that kind of transpired. Yeah, that would, uh, that would definitely suck. That would moving, be bummer, moving right? Moving to Cleveland, and then, oh, honey, <laughs> sorry, I, I got to go to Wichita. <laughs> right. I just got signed, my bad. So, Brendan? I, I just, uh, you mentioned just the kind of, the severity of the Cleveland fans. What was it like winning that championship in 94? I tell you, it's, um. It's hard for me to even say because I had been a backup, and a lot of people ask me how I did it. I, I, I guess I'm persistent, had some perseverance, because um, being a backup goalkeeper for the amount of years I had been, six or seven years, was tough. And um, so when PJ, when we moved from the MISL to the NPSL in 92, 93, 
Um, PJ, I'm not sure what actually happened, but they had some contract, you know, negotiations. The salary cap had dropped when we when we they busted the union, and so um, I became the starter. And in that that year, we had the second best record in the whole league, but um, first in our division. But Kansas City had a, had a um, a better record in the West, and we go to Kansas City for two. We lost. We came back home. We won, ended up in the last game. We, we lost in KC. So we make it all the way back to the finals against St. Louis the next year, and it's the same scenario where they had, uh, uh, they had the better record of us and they had the couple of home games first. And in the first quarter of the first game of the championship, we were losing 12 nothing, And this is when they had three-point goals. So I got pulled out of that game in the first quarter, and I was, uh, well, I think it's what changed my career. It was one of those, I don't want to say men mental toughness or whatever it was, but it was kind of I was going to go one way or the other, you know? Yeah. And um, the newspaper was, you know, the, after the game, the interviews were all asking about, do you think you're going to play tomorrow? And I didn't know if I was going to play tomorrow because we had just signed the goalkeeper that was, um, well, Brad Friedel, who ended up in Europe for, I think the longest of any American in history playing over there. He was second in the goalkeeper voting out of college, Bill Andrecki from Rutgers. And um, so anyway, I started the next game and we won. And, um, and then we came back to Cleveland and, and won our games here. And, and that was the first championship. So, um, man, I don't even know where that question started. But uh, what was your question? Just what was it like to win the championship in Cleveland? Well, for me, I think... Now, now, I, now I know what your question was, but for me, there, I had so much um, pressure on myself, I think, to win that game and to do whatever I could to win that game that I really don't remember. You know, I don't, I, I blew my hamstring. It was a double overtime game. I blew my left hamstring or right hamstring in that game when a ball came off the boards and I kicked my leg out of the way so it didn't hit me and go in. And in the replay of it, you can see where I start hobbling. And that was in the middle of the first overtime. And yeah, there's a, basically a highlight reel, I think, that I could make of myself in that game. There's, a, there's some great saves and some uncanny, uncanny things that happened, including heading the ball out, a diving header near midfield for kind of a second assist on the game-winning goal. So for me, um, it was all about getting over that hump of finally winning. I had won in outdoor, um, but in indoor, it was like that was a defining moment for me, that, that game. So, but after that point, I can say that I became much more confident on the field, and I really got to enjoy it. And playing to a crowd, I mean, I have a goofy name. I have long hair. Um, goalkeepers are captives in the, in the goal, right? You can't run around the field. So the fans that really want to heckle you get behind the goal. And there were definite guys that you knew from every city that sat behind there and either heckled you or threw stuff. Or when you were telling the wall to move left, they were shouting on a megaphone to move right. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, you learn. And I, I, I became really fond of playing on the road and loving it. But in Cleveland, it was, it was awesome. I mean, our fans were great. So um, you said you, you tweaked or you pulled your hamstring. Well, I had six weeks of black and blue from my ass to my knee. Um, and the funny thing about it, our trainer, Manny Economos, um, I, I thought I had cramped up. 
Mm -hmm. you know, because it was double overtime. And so every time there was a timeout or in between the quarters, he's over there stretching my leg. Little did I know that I had torn the muscle. <sighs> and, um, and what, you know, when you, when you watch it again, the, the, uh, the announcers are saying, you know, that I injured my, they weren't sure if it was my ankle or my knee. Um, again, adrenaline is a crazy thing. And there is, um, as, a, as an athlete, I always give a little bit of the benefit of a doubt to other athletes when things happen in games because there's no way the average fan or the average human can tell what the composition, what it's like to have that kind of, um, whether it's pheromones or hormones or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever chemicals, enzymes that are in your blood during competition like that. And, and um, you know, you hear stories about baseball catchers playing with broken hands and, and different athletes doing different things that when they're pretty severely injured. And um, that, you know, for me, that, that was one of those nights where it didn't matter what happened. I was going to, I was going to mm -hmm. stay in the game. You know, no matter what, you know. Until he told me I had to come out, so. Right. Hey, there you go, you know. Toughness. So, speaking of <clears throat> the indoor soccer, you are the head coach of the Akron uh, Vulcans? Vulcans, yeah. So, do you want to go a little bit more in-depth in into that? Well, I had, I've had really great fortune here in Northeast Ohio, and, and uh, things fell in place a number of number of times along the way. Um, in 1992, um, two, three, of, three of the teammates, P.J. Johns, Andy Schmetzer, George Fernandez, got asked to play for the U.S. national team in a game of futsal. And futsal is really the international equivalent of indoor soccer. Mm -hmm. Most countries don't have hockey rinks and can't afford to roll out turf to play games, right? Mm -hmm. So they play in gymnasiums on hard court they invented a ball or created a ball that has a little less bounce so that it's not flying all over the place. It stays on the ground more. And which is that ball that I brought for you there, signed by the guys on the crunch. And the, they, um, you know, they, they, the game of futsal started in South America in 1930s and really became popularized in Brazil. And that game has been responsible for creating some of the best players the world has ever seen, soccer players, from Pele and Maradona to... Uh, Ronaldinho and Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi, they all say they grew up playing. And if you think about it, they don't have in a lot of these countries um, a lot of big green space in their cities, right? Mm -hmm. So they grew up playing the street game. And futsal, that's basically what futsal is. Futsal is an organized version of street soccer um, where the freedom to play and the creativity. And I always compare it to and one basketball because in mm -hmm. futsal, putting the ball through somebody's legs or lifting it over the top of them is just as valuable when you're playing in the street game as it is scoring a goal. You know how you try to show up your opponent, right? And so um, I had the opportunity then. I asked George Fernandez. I said, George, if you, if you ever have the chance four years from now, you know, I'd love to try out for the team because I, as I told you, I didn't grow up playing soccer. My technique wasn't good. And come to, you know, now that I'm one of the coaches, I teach kids to play by cutting out, cutting down the angle and getting hit by the ball, just covering the goal. And that's really what I did my whole career. So in 1996, I got asked to try out. I went over to Pittsburgh for the tryout with uh, John Kowalski, who was the coach at the time, and Keith Tozer, who was the assistant coach. And um, they, they took me. I went down to uh, Guatemala and ended up getting goalkeeper of the tournament after playing the sport for about 
three weeks and we qualified for the World Cup. And so um, for the next seven years, which isn't a lot, we only, the U.S. only prepared teams for competitions. So I played in, in two CONCACAF qualifiers and one World Cup and then the Gold Cup in 2003 when I was 40 was my last time. But after, um, after I finished my career with the Crunch, I was doing camps around town and my partner, Chris Dore, who's my current partner, was my mm -hmm. teammate um, in 2003 and 2004. Um, we decided to start a futsal league and it's now called the Great Lakes Futsal Leagues. And, uh, and so we were teaching kids and we, we've We've raised up a great group of, of talent that uh, kids who are some of the best kids ever come out of Northeast Ohio in the last 10 years, and they developed through futsal. And then um, when we had the opportunity, I became uh, one of the managers of a great historic facility in Akron called the Goodyear Hall. And it's a 100-year-old building that was built for you know hardwood for basketball competitions. And we decided if we're going to have this youth program and try to develop soccer players and futsal players, um, we should have some place for them to play afterward, right? And so mm. we're trying to really pioneer the professional sport of futsal here in the United States, and we were doing wonderfully. Last year was awesome. We brought players from Argentina who were the current world champions. Mm. They won the last World Cup. We bought, brought three players from Argentina to live in the building, and uh, they're from the champion San Lorenzo. So I can say hi to Franco and Luciano and Pipi. Um, they got stuck here with me when I was, uh, I was asked to coach the U.S. national team as an assistant coach and goalkeeper coach last September. Um, and we were with the team in, in uh, Europe, in Croatia, when COVID broke out. And when I got back, I was in the building with those three kids from Argentina, and our Vulcan season was over. And so that's kind of, we're on pause from last year, hoping to rebuild it, but it was going wonderfully and we were having great success. And, um, you know, people ask about the name Vulcans and they, a lot of people think of Star Trek yeah, right away, I was, right? I was going to ask that. Uh, I wasn't sure if you were going to go there, so <laughs> I wanted to make sure I cleared it up because um, I'm really proud to be part of the management team and running events at the Goodyear Hall. It's, it's an amazing facility. We've got great neighbors in the Goodyear Theater. Um, the owner of the whole complex, Stuart Lichter, is the gentleman I'm going to have dinner with after this. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was actually one of the owners of the Cleveland Crunch when I came to Cleveland. Oh, okay. When we moved into that building, I had no idea he was, I mean, when I went to first look at it, I had no idea he was the owner. But he basically bought that whole Goodyear complex, his company, and, um, and have, has done the historic renovation of the Goodyear Hall itself and now filling the rest of the building with and that million square feet with uh, other local companies. But, um, you know, when we were in Goodyear Hall and I'm thinking of a name, I wanted it to relate to Akron. Mm -hmm. And um, being at Goodyear and Charles Goodyear, uh, you know, refining rubber with the process of vulcanization okay. is where the Vulcans actually came from. And so we, we wanted that connection with Akron and, uh, and with the building. And so that's where the Vulcans came from. And when I researched Vulcan a little bit as the Roman god, uh, you know, he's a blacksmith. He was the, the, one of the gods of fire, and he made the weapons for the other gods. Um, I thought of power and precision mm -hmm. and, um, and Vulcan and vulcanization, and that's where, that's where it all came from. That is now, see, 
I thought it was just like a Star Trek reference, oh, to no. be honest. No, but that's that's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. That's kind of like uh, with the arrows before they turned into the rubber ducks. Because the aeronautics Correct. area is up in uh, in Akron. And the, I guess the ducks make sense because rubber. But Right, the rubber city. And, and it's definitely kid-friendly. And um, they've done a great job with that. I mean, I yeah. think the change of the name has helped them a lot as well. So, um, And it's great to be, uh, you know, as we talked about before, Northeast Ohio has amazing fans. And I've gone out and played in, uh, in a couple of charity games and, and in, uh, uh, you know, at the uh, stadium at Canal Park down there. And it's a wonderful place to go see a ball game. And the great thing about it is that you get to see a lot of the Indians mm-hmm. players. Like, if you're lucky, you can see some good players um, play down there. And, and you can say you saw them when they were first starting out their careers. So, Yeah, I saw... Um... I saw Lindor when he was playing down there. I saw, uh, I think I saw Cece when he was still when it was still the Arrows down there, like right. way back in the day. I saw all those guys, and it's it's really cool because if you're a big baseball guy or like I'm a big baseball guy, I keep my eye on these players, and we go down to spring training. So it's cool to watch these guys as they come up, see who comes up, and then like you know a couple years later they'll be playing for the Phillies or something, and be like, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, yeah, I used to play for. The arrows. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that is awesome, and uh, it sucks with the Vulcans having to shut down from COVID. Uh, we kind of have the same thing going on here at the Kent stage with the music industry. Sure. Um, I just uh, we're at the mercy of this virus, and uh, and and the politicians that are you know hopefully not playing too many games with us, but you know that. Uh, it just is what it is, and we got to deal with it. And you know what? That's one of those things that everybody's trying to figure out their way, and, and that's what we're doing. I mean, everything that I've that I've done after my career, running leagues, running events, um, you know, starting the Vulcans, then coaching kids, and and uh, coaching the national team. Every single thing was wiped out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there's. There's not many other industries, or I mean, there's not many other industries that could, I don't think, get hurt more than the event industry, mm. especially, and um, and we're in the same boat in that in that regard. But uh, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and I think everybody's changing. There's going to be a little bit of a new normal, and, and we'll all get through it and pick up where we left off, hopefully, because that's my yeah. plan with the Vulcans and with our leagues. We're getting ready to start our youth leagues. We actually made the announcement today. So we got it out to everybody, greatlakesfutsal.com, and you can go on there, and we have a couple locations around Northeast Ohio. Um, we have two times a week, we're doing Zoom calls with all the players on the national team, and man, that's a hard, uh, that's a hard thing to do to try, to try to at least get some value out of coaching 25 guys all separately around right. the country. And, uh, but really, we're, we're evaluating the games that we played in Europe uh, last year. February and um, hope, hoping that they're working a little bit on their own to stay in shape. It's going to be tough because now that they the qualifications for the World Cup have been pushed back a year, we go to Guatemala at the end of April. Okay. And it's kind of funny because that's where the qualifications move around, but that's where uh, I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. that I qualified for the first time in 96. So now it's going to be, uh, with the one-year postponement, it's going to be 25 years same location, um, I'm hoping we have the same results. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty crazy, 25 years. It is. Damn. Right? It's crazy, <laughs> crazy the way things come full circle, right? Right. All right, well, Otto, is there anything else you want to plug real fast? Uh, if, you know, if, if people are watching this and they're thinking about uh, their kid playing soccer, developmentally, there's, I can attest, there's no other version of the sport, indoor, outdoor, that is more developmentally beneficial than futsal. And if you think about that game, it's condensed version of the soccer game, right? So the kid spends a lot more time with the ball and the ball's on the floor near the feet, which is what we need to develop in kids. That's my sales pitch for it. You can find us at greatlakesfutsal.com or heartandsoulfutsal.com, and um, we'll coach up your kids and turn them into good little soccer players. You heard, it here, you heard it here first. And come to see the Vulcans this year in Akron. I'm telling you, you will have a good time. We turned that place into a mini real pro sports venue, and it's awesome. We're going to have to yeah, we'll definitely have to go to a few there. games. You guys come down. Do some coverage. All right, Otto. Make sure it happens. Thank you very it's much. great to Absolutely. see you. Absolutely. We appreciate Thank you, having you Gentlemen, Thank it's you been for... a pleasure. All right, and that was our interview with Otto Orff. Thank you, Otto, for coming on the podcast. We're going to head right into it because the MLB wildcard playoffs started Tuesday. We record on Tuesday, but this is released on Wednesday. Um, the Indians are taking on the Yankees in best of three. At Progressive Field, so we have home field advantage. Brendan, what are your takes here? Uh, a very winnable series for the Indians. Now, I get, like, the Yankees, when you hear the New York Yankees, it kind of scares some people. Some people are a little are off base when you hear that the Indians are about to take on the Yankees. Something about that team just brings a little fear into people, but I don't think this year that it really should. The Yankees have severely underperformed anything they were – really thought to do this year. They're, they're, they're not that healthy. They're, Garrett Cole has taken seemingly a step back since his time in Houston. Now, I know that Houston's cheating was on the offensive side of the ball, but it somehow affected Garrett Cole this year. Um, he's still been good, but he hasn't been uh, dominant like the guy he's going to face uh, Tuesday night in game one in Beaver. Uh, you're, the Indians are in a position where in a three- or five-game series, they're going to have to score three runs a game to win, to win games. Yeah, because uh, like, we were, like you were just saying, the Yankees, they're having a little <clears throat> trouble with Cole with his pitching. But if the Yankees' batting lineup is healthy, th- they're just dangerous. Yeah, very scary. Yeah. So the downfall that we have had all season is our bats don't get hot. I've said this, I feel like uh, I'm repeating myself, like a broken record. The bats don't get hot until the, you know, 6th, 7th, or 8th, after we've already lost the game. So we need to get the bats going. We need to score at least three runs, like my partner said here. But I'm not too concerned because game one tonight is Bieber. Yes. Game two is Carrasco. Yes. Game three is Plesak if needed. That's a good one, two, three punch. Yeah, and I, th- I think it actually surprises me a little bit, and here's, here's my take on that. Bieber, I think we all knew, was going to be one. No big deal on, on the crunch there. Uh, but I, thought, I think Bieber, we all knew, was going to be game one, without a doubt. Carrasco, game two, surprises me a little bit. Now, I know he has the experience. He has, he has, he has the veteran leadership with the team. He probably deserves that not. But here's the thing. If you go over the last 30 days, Plesak, 
compared to Carrasco, it's not even close. Plesak has been the better pitcher. Teams get ahead of Carrasco seemingly pretty early lately, have been getting ahead of him pretty early lately. Plesak's been dominating. So I would have liked to see Plesak in that game two spot. But it, it almost seems like they're like, game one, we're going to win with Bieber. Game two, if we can close it out with Carrasco, then we can close it out with Carrasco. But game three, we're going to absolutely have to shut it down with Plesak. Yeah. And it seems like that's what they went with this, with instead of just going one-two punch with Bieber Plesak to try to just close the series in two, which I hate when, when the Indians let teams hang around because we've seen it so many times before. 3-1 against the Yankees. We didn't win that series. 3-1 against the Cubs. You know what happened at the end of that series. It, I don't want us to win tonight and then be able to re- to rest on our laurels because we got up one game in a uh-huh. three-game series. And now I'm not saying Carrasco is a slouch, and I'm not saying that it's a guaranteed loss by putting him on the mound. I just think if you put Plesak out there game two, the way he's been pitching, you have a better shot to just close it out rather than keep them alive for a third game. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> kind of the one thing, though, is would – would you rather have Plesak game three or Carrasco? Because like you were saying, Carrasco has lost quite a few games this season. Would you rather have a, them done in one, game one and game two for wins or and then have to rely on Carrasco? Uh, I get what you're saying is if – so if, uh, if they happen to lose game two even with going my way – would I want them to rely on Carrasco game three? And it's no. I don't I don't want Carrasco to be your pitcher in a must-win game. Uh, in fact, I think at this moment in time, I'd almost take Tristan McKenzie as, as that third pitcher. Um, and I, I know why they didn't put him there. Yeah. Plesak's yeah. been pitching for two years. It makes sense that he's on this playoff roster. I know why Tristan McKenzie isn't a starter in the playoffs. He might be next, next round. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I doubt it because they'll probably go Savali in that fourth game where they'll just go three pitchers. Uh, but I just don't know if I can trust Carrasco right now, and I'd, I'd love to say I can, um, just because he is good. And when he is on, he's on. Yeah. And he, he's unhittable. He's on, he's, he's on fire. And there's nothing that opposing teams can do about it. I just don't know if right now him being your number two starter is the way to go. Um, but we're going to see how it goes. But I think the way that they went with my kind of – Thought is if we win with Bieber in game one, we can afford to lose game two with Carrasco. Uh, and then if we have to win a must-win game, we're going to put Plesak out there. Because he's been just slightly, and I I stress slightly, less dominant than Shane Bieber. Yeah, um, <clears throat> absolutely. Uh, and another thing is we're not going to have Tito for all the postseason. Yeah. Like we haven't had him for most of the season this year, uh, which which is a shame. But got to trust in Sandy. I also think continuity is a big thing. And if Francona wasn't gone so long this year, I think he would have come back. But I think that he thinks that it's Sandy Almar's team at least this year, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to mess up the continuity that's happened the last forty games because Francona hasn't been here since week two or three. Yeah. Um, and it's not, not, no, to no fault of his own. I'm not blaming mm-hmm. Francona. Go get healthy. Do what you need to do. And whether you come back or not, if, if you're done, then by all means you have to be done because the, your health is 100% more important. And know that we're probably in good hands with Sandy. And that's the reason he's willing to just be like, all right, I'm not going to go with you guys. 
Amina's going to let Sandy manage the team. And it's going to be very interesting heading into a bubble in the, D, in the, in the division series and the conference series because I don't really know how it's going to work out considering that the Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays are probably going to be the only two home teams with the bubbles being in California and Florida. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that makes sense, but does the bubble factor – take away from home field, even if they're in their home states? Yeah, it does. Um, you you would think, like, if you look at the example of the Orlando Magic in, in the bubble this year, um, now you, you would think that not having to travel that far, but once they get settled, it's, it's pretty much home for everyone for that time period, right? Yeah. It's, it's not like you're traveling anywhere once you get there. You're going to have to get there. You're going to have to go to your hotel room. You're going to have to get COVID tested. You're going to have to be staying in your hotel room. You're going to have to be fed. You're going to, you're going to be watered. You're pretty much going to be, and I, don't take this the wrong way if you're going to chop it up and cut it, but you're pretty much going to be a dog because you're going to have people taking care of your every move, watching your every move, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's something that we have to live through, unfortunately, with everything that has been going on. And the NBA pulled it off, and the MLB was like, you know what, once we get to this postseason, with everything that happened at the beginning of our season this year, we're going to go ahead and pull off the NBA's bubble style. There's just – the NFL just can't do it. Um, there, there are way too many people in the NFL to try to pull something like that off. Absolutely. Um, so who do you think takes the series, Indians, Yankees? Uh, I'm going to say the Indians, and I wouldn't have said it uh, as confident as if the, uh, the lineup for the Yankees was healthy, um, just because, like you said, completely dangerous. Uh, but I think that – with the way both teams have been playing, the Indians' lineup is starting to hit, is string together hits. Jose Ramirez has been playing at an MVP level. He might even be the favorite to win the AL MVP. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can get a bat out of Lindor, because we haven't all year, uh, Hernandez has been consistent. Naquin's hitting now. Luplo's hitting now. If we can get Reyes' dominance back uh, from earlier in the year, Santana still continues to produce walks and be consistent in that part, despite not hitting as, as much as he should. The Indians should win. Uh, I could even see them winning in two games, but I'll say they win in three. Uh, they close out that final game, game three, uh, which would be Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, against the Yankees and look to either – if we win, look to either play Tampa Bay, but if, like, Houston wins or something, we're going to end up playing probably the White Sox. Yeah. Or the – oh, sorry, go on. Or it would be the White Sox or the uh, – no, it wouldn't be the White Sox. The White Sox are seven. Who's number two? Uh, we just looked this up. Yeah. Who didn't – who won the uh, – because Tampa Bay – Oakland. We'd end up yeah. playing Oakland. There we go. Because that's who Chicago's playing right now. Yeah. Um, to go off what you were saying, uh, I would have said Yankees as well if they had – if they had, like, you know, healthy Aaron Judge, healthy Stanton, yeah. all those guys healthy. Yeah. But – Kind of a thing that's a little worrisome for me is, is this a revenge game for Clint Frazier? Or a re- revenge series, I should say. What's there to be vengeful for? He got shipped off to a team that's going to pay him more money. It's going to give him more opportunities. He's, he's had more opportunities than he did while he was here in Cleveland. While true. I would love to have Clint Frazier out in that outfield right now, it's just he when he, was, when he got traded away for who he got traded away for, what was there to be mad about? The it made perfect sense. The Cleveland Indians needed Andrew Miller, and he couldn't make it, and Clint Frazier couldn't make the major league roster at the time. 
he can make the major league roster. Now, kudos to the Yankees for making him as good as he is right now. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a revenge game, uh, just because I don't know what he could be vengeful about. Uh, but it, he is, if you ask me if that's somebody to worry about in this series, 100%. Yeah. Uh, because who else is there? Mm-hmm. And he has been hitting well yeah. since he came up. Um, yeah. And also the homer in me says Indians. So I'm going to Yeah, go the, with that. the homer in me will always say Indian, but even the, the, just the, the analyst in me, the professional in me also says Indians. Uh, everyone likes to say that, well, the Indians haven't seen the Yankees lineup all year, but the Yankees also haven't seen the Indian pitch, Indians pitchers all year. And Shane Bieber is not the same pitcher he was last year despite being good last year. Too. I mean, he won the first MLB Triple Crown since 06. Yes. That should say something. When he, won the, uh, when he won the All-Star Game MVP, everybody was like, oh, it's because he's from Cleveland. Now he's shut every single one of those haters up with his performance this year. And the thing is, thing with Bieber is, is if think about it, if, if he was handed AL MVP this year, how many arguments would there be that it's, he doesn't deserve it? None. Yeah. Not, not a single one. And it's not a pitcher's award. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and like you said too, with uh, Jose Ramirez, he's definitely up there. Yeah, it it, it has to be him or Abreu, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not. Th- I can't think of anybody else. You can't give it to Mike Trout again because Mike yeah, Trout no. didn't have that great of a year. No, he didn't have that great of a year. The Angels aren't really anywhere to be found. Right. Uh, if you're gonna give it to somebody, give it to Jose Ramirez, who who had a team that was barely in the playoffs two weeks ago and then went on a, on a hitting spree. Uh, brought his team back sing, pretty much single-handedly because the only other person that really did anything in that in that long winning streak was Jordan Luplo with that walk-off win over Chicago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, no, Detroit. Was it Detroit? Yeah, it was Detroit. Uh, so, yeah, just Jose – I think Jose deserves it. I'm not sure he's going to win it because I think the the national media says Abreu. Uh, so, I think Jose Abreu will probably end up being the AL MVP. Uh, but – Again, is the, you can't really argue against Ramirez or even Beaver. I just don't know if a pitcher will ever be handed MVP, especially nowadays. The, yeah. Um, I could. Yeah, that is true. Because, I mean, they their MVP is Cy Young. Yeah, they have the Cy Young. And yeah. That's how voters vote is, well, this guy's going to win the Cy Young. Why, why should we give him the MVP, too? But if you look at it, and if, if the Indians didn't have Bieber, they're not in the playoffs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if we didn't have Bieber, we probably wouldn't have traded No, you wouldn't have traded Kluber. Clevenger but, or, or Kluber or Clevenger. Yeah. But you, I don't know if you're in the playoffs. No, I, I don't think so either. That is a great point. So we are going to switch over to the NBA. We have our NBA analyst back here, Howie. Howie, how are you? Well, He's a little quiet right now. He's taking a nap. Yeah, uh, he, he's he's not that talkative right now. I think but, he's got lockjaw. But 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 uh, but Howie back there says that Doc Rivers is out as the Los An- Angeles Clippers head coach. Uh, reports came out that the two sides mutually agreed to part ways. Uh, I actually got paid a couple months ago to write an article on is Doc Rivers the most overrated coach in NBA history. Think about what Doc Rivers has been handed in his career. When he was first starting, he was handed T-Mac and, and Shaq prior to him going and leaving the Los Angeles. After that, he leaves there and goes to Boston, and he's handed that big three. Mm. Wins one title. 
Then he goes to Los Angeles and he's handed Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Chris Paul. Yeah. Wins nothing. Barely exits the first round ever. Now he's handed Kawhi, jo- Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, and he added Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to a team that already nearly knocked the Warriors out of the playoffs the year before. Yeah, and, and to think about his bench, too. Like, having Lou Will, Lou, all those guys back there. Yeah, Lou Will is one of the best six-man six ever. Montrez Harrell won the award this year for some reason. Like you said, Pat, Patrick Beverly's there. Uh, Shamit's good. Uh, Ivica Zubak, their, their starting center from the Lakers uh, last year, was is pretty good. All around a very good team. I just think that Doc Rivers has been – has been fortunate to be handed all of this. Doc Rivers has pretty much been handed what Eric Spolster was handed. Every single opportunity that he's had, Doc Rivers has been handed what Eric Spolster was handed in 2010. Oh, man, I remember back when those guys went to the three finals yeah. and everybody was like, he's the, I, a couple of people were like, he's the greatest coach ever. Like, no, he was just handed this team. He was, hand, he was handed the, the Miami Heat, the LeBron big three Miami Heat, before that was even a thing, and won one title with it. Now he was handed it again and had a second-round exit uh, with the same team, losing 3-1 after being up 3-1 to the Denver Nuggets. And it's like uh, people are saying that Ty Lue is a great, he's a great choice for the Clippers, right? Isn't that the whole yeah. thing they're saying? Ty Lue, Ty Lue got handed LeBron, Kevin Love, and Kyrie Irving. He didn't do anything. The only reason that he was he stayed with the Cavs for so long is because he shut his mouth and let LeBron coach the team. He just LeBron used to bully him, making him stand up so he could sit down. Yeah. LeBron punked out Ty Lue so many times. Iverson punked him out when he was still playing, stepping over him. I just don't want to hear everybody like Ty Lue is a this great coach. He has a ring. Yeah, he's got a ring. Just like the same reason why uh um, Sasha Khan has a ring. Yeah. He was on the team. That yeah. Was, that was basically it. He was on the team. Uh, now, nah, I give Ty Lue a little credit. Uh, he made that team play faster and stuff like that. But still, kind of the same thing. Doc, with Doc, just, he's won one title, and it's it's with that team that for some reason only won one title, but still talks about themselves like they're one of the best teams there ever was. They talk about themselves like they were up there with the 95 Bulls or even that 2016 Warriors team that won 70-plus games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's just not. Like, I know that the Warriors didn't win the title that year because the Cavs did, but just Doc Rivers just annoys me, and I was so happy that I got paid to write that article. It was the easiest article I've ever written. Uh, just There's so many things. Even Kendrick Perkins, who played for that Boston team, said Rivers was lucky to have that team, and – that they weren't really he, – he hates Doc Rivers. Why does somebody who played for that team, who won a title with that team, dislike their coach? Yeah. Um, Glenn Davis said the similar stuff. Yeah, and then um, <laughs> I'm going to use this to transition. Uh, Paul Pierce, who was on that team, has been talking a lot of smack about the Heat, and the Heat are going into the finals – against the Lakers this week. Your thoughts on that? Heat he, he against the Lakers in the finals, I'd really like to say that this is a good series, but I just don't think it is. I, I, I thought that whoever came out of the West was probably certified the champion, and I still kind of think that. Now the Heat are very good. 
I'm not going to take anything away from but just look around. You have Jimmy Butler, who isn't going to stop LeBron. You have Tyler Hero, who is, if the, if the Lakers decide to actually play defense, I think he could be stopped too. Uh, but if, if I'm going to look at it, am I taking LeBron and Anthony Davis or am I taking Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler? <laughs> is that even a real question? <laughs> like, it, it's, am I taking Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh or am I staying in Cleveland for Zajuna Sogowski's? Yeah. It's 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 an unfortunate. That's a bad metaphor, I know, but it's 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 that kind of situation. And who, well, technically, Z went down with LeBron to Miami. Yeah, and Cavs fans seem to completely forget about that. They love Z. Put his jersey up in the uh, well, rafters. My f- whatever. People forget he left with LeBron. That was my thing. Like they were burning the LeBron jerseys. Everyone was. Everybody's still wearing their and, Z jerseys. And, and but Z did the same thing, and it was just not. It, it, it all boiled down to that TV show. So if I had to guess, Lakers in four, uh, maybe five. Uh, it's either going to be a sweep or Miami might steal one game just because there's no games at Staples Center. Uh, mm-hmm. And even if it was American Airlines in Miami, LeBron walks back into that venue. Yeah. Yeah, th- uh, I, there's no competition here. This is not even a – shouldn't even be a conversation. Just give LeBron – the Larry O'Brien trophy right now. Let's, let's give him, uh, get him that fourth ring so people can stop using that ring conversation. Uh, the ring conversation is so annoying. Call him the GOAT and get it over with. Just, just Michael Jordan fans, just get it over with. Admit it. This man is going to win a title in his 17th year in the NBA and, and will probably look to be the favorite for another one next year in year 18. I was going to say, Andy's not he, – he's, he's showing no sign of stopping anytime soon. He's still playing like he played – Ten years ago when he no, was with the Heat. Did you watch that fourth quarter the other day? I did not. LeBron turned up like 07, need to go to the finals against the Spurs LeBron. And yeah. and th- then finally Paul Pierce was like, oh, maybe people do fear LeBron. Or or maybe LeBron is really good. Because before, it, in my, my era, we didn't fear LeBron. No, you didn't have to fear LeBron because it was him and four other freaking di- yeah. G League superstars mm-hmm. playing against you and your three other all stars. Except for Booby Gibson. Okay. But Booby Gibson isn't Dwayne Wade. Booby Gibson isn't Chris Bosch. Booby Gibson isn't Anthony Davis. Very good player. Very good for what he what he needed to do in Cleveland. I love Booby Gibson to death, but are are we really gonna talk crap about which team was better back then? Which team had the better shot to win back then? Yeah. If LeBron yeah. wasn't on this team, we're picking number one perennially. That is, that is very true. All right, so we already know who's going to win the finals. Shouldn't have even been a conversation. Like I said, get, or just give him the Larry O'Brien trophy right now. Uh, no need to even waste people's time. The only reason they're doing this is for ad revenue. There's, you know. and you know, Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar has to release a song, too. Oh yeah, they gotta that's use, right. They got to use one of his songs for the finals, so he's got to release a song every year at some point. That uh, is true. All right, no, I like Kendrick. Let's not talk uh, crap about Kendrick. Oh, I'm not talking crap about Kendrick, <laughs> but he's all he he always drops a song, and that's it, like their hype video. It seems like it's every year his song is the hype song for yeah. the NBA finals. All right, so moving on from the NBA, NFL, Browns did it. Um, Baker did it. Our running backs, Chubb and Hunt, did it. Miles Garrett, once again, did it. Did it. Uh, Browns beat the Washington football team 
34 to 20 on Sunday. Um, Baker Mayfield put up numbers that were better than MVP Lamar Jackson. Uh, your takeaway on this game? Well, well, I'll take away now that it's Tuesday, and when Baker only poured in 153 yards on Sunday in a win, people were thrashing him. Oh, my God, how could he only put in 153 yards? What you fail to realize is he only had to because three of the four scores they had were from 30 yards and in off of interceptions. So he didn't have to go crazy. Uh, the thing is, is, and then your last year's MVP goes out Monday night knowing don't even throw for over 100 yards. Uh, but, but we hear nothing about him. And now I get that he's done a lot more than Baker. He's looked a lot better than Baker throughout his career. But he threw for 97 yards. But once again, Lamar. 3.6% completion rating. One, once again, Lamar Jackson gets in a big game and disappears. Uh, say what you want about Baker, but and he hasn't played in many big games and he hasn't beaten many great teams. He doesn't disappear. He might throw interceptions, but he's going he's gonna to come back and he's going to throw a touchdown. Yeah, and everybody that's still slandering Baker, um, to, to literally this day, even he won the last two games, they're like, oh, he's, he's a clock manager or he's a game manager. He's not a franchise quarterback, blah, blah, blah. That's just that's – just, I can't stand Browns fans. I'm a Browns fan myself, but I can't be in the same room as other Browns fans because they seem to think mm-hmm. that we have had a team like the Patriots have had for the There's, last 20 years. There is never satisfaction, no room for gradual growth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's either like you're here, it's like now or never. I don't understand it. Uh, they think – you just draft this guy and just throw him in there and boom, that's it. He better he better be the next coming of Jesus. Uh, look, it all boils down to be happy. The Browns are over 500 for the first time since your boy Brian Hoyer had him over 500 six years ago. Just oh boy, how can you not be happy about that? And the defense that has been absolutely tore apart weeks one and two by Joe Burrow and – Lamar Jackson comes back and picks off Dwayne Haskins four times. Another strip sack for Miles Garrett two weeks in a row. Five turnovers from a defense that everyone thought didn't have a shot. One of the bottom end defenses in the league. The offense scores 24 off of turnovers. The only thing, the only qualm I had about the game is that the offense didn't create their own opportunities that well. Yeah. um, I would say. See, that, that's a tough one to – Wills Jr. came out early in the first half and had two false starts. That yeah. was – I was uh, talking with uh, some people and I was saying these little mental mistakes are going to be the downfall of this team because if you're having those against teams like the Bengals and uh, the football team, what are you going to do when you play these – Bigger teams, like um, even though the Cowboys are one and two, they're still a very good team. Um, what are you going to do against these big teams when they eat up opportunities like that? Well, here's the thing. He did that against Washington in the first half, who still had Chase Young. When Chase Young's on that field, that Washington defensive, end, defensive line, especially the two defensive ends, 
maybe the best in football. Yeah. 11 sacks through two weeks, the first two weeks. That's what they had. And they added in a couple more on Sunday. Yeah. So I think it, it could be nerfs. It could be. He's a rookie, man. He's going to make those mistakes. The Browns have one of the top-rated offensive lines in the league. Jedrick Wills has been one of the, one of the top higher-rated tackles. Wyatt Teller at right guard, who nobody thought would do anything, is was the number one rated guard after two weeks. Uh, and you said be be worried about Dallas. I don't uh, even being a Cowboys fan, I'm not that worried. I, I really think that the Browns can beat the Cowboys. I, I'm saying more that would be more for their defense, the Browns defense. I think I've our secondary gets the our cornerbacks just get smoked on every play. Uh, our our run game is pretty good, and Zeke's more of an up-the-middle guy, so I wouldn't be too worried about that. It's just Prescott getting out of the pocket and tossing it down the field. I, I do think Baker Mayfield's going to have, have to have a pretty good game. Yeah. Because I think the strength for the Dallas Cowboys defense, mm-hmm. stopping the run. It's the only thing I've seen them be able to do in the first two three, three weeks mm-hmm. is stop the run. Now, they haven't had to play Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, so there's that, mm-hmm. but the only thing I've had to see them do, I've seen them do well is stop the run. I I watched Russell Wilson tear that back end apart. Dallas is very hurt everywhere. Yeah, they're playing literally like a four four one six or however that boils down. They, they the only linebacker that's playing right now is Jalen Smith. That makes sense. Also, um, the offensive line, yeah. absolute trash. Okay, so our boys can get through there. Miles Garrett is going to eat, especially if Tyron Smith doesn't play. Last week, they had this guy named Brian Knight at left tackle, only ever played like 10 games. On the right side, they had Zach Martin, their Pro Bowl, perennial Pro Bowl, future Hall of Fame right guard, had to put him at right tackle. Mm-hmm. Played some guy who's never played before. or they, they moved Joe Looney from center to right guard and played a rookie at center. Sheldon Richardson, who's been playing out of his mind, could oh, tee yeah. off on Zeke and Dak. If, if, the, if that Browns defensive line does very well against that Cowboys offense, the Browns could win this game. And it's unfortunate as a Cowboys fan, I'm sitting here telling you this, but I could very well see that the Browns are 3-1 and one and the Cowboys are 1-3 at the end of Sunday. I mean, I would love that. That would be amazing. Um, but then that's going to go with the Browns fans thing I was talking about earlier. They're going to be like, oh, put up a Kevin Stefanski statue now. Let's get it going now. Yeah, just no gradual, like, even if the Browns miss the playoffs, but they look better than they did last year, which they already do. Right. It doesn't look like everybody's saying, it's me, it's me, it's me. This is more like a team. Yes, they look like they're playing as a team. Heck, OBJ hasn't even had a big game yet, and he still looks satisfied. Yeah. He looked, I mean, I can understand him looking pissed off against the Ravens game. We were get, They were getting yeah, destroyed. Yeah, they were getting smoked. But the last two games, he looks, he looks happy. Him, uh... Landry and Baker are all sitting together, too. Yeah. It's those three sitting together looking at the drawn-up plays on the sideline, not sitting there complaining, you know, sitting by themselves, arms crossed, all pissed off. The thing is, is on Sunday there were big moments. And when Baker had to go for a big moment, he found one of those two guys, completed a pass for a big first down, a big conversion, things like that. And I think they could do – I think it's going to ride on Baker playing well on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But with the back end of that Cowboys defense, OBJ is going to be open a lot. 
Yeah, Jarvis Landry is going to be open a lot. That um, the play they did for the touchdown to uh, to Kareem when they put oh when they put Odell in the slot. Yeah, and so they say they were they were double teaming him, and Kareem just got right in the corner. Tossed it in there. Perfect. Um, I have a little uh, update here. Uh, not good. Four pitches in to the first inning. Shane Bieber has just given up a two-run home run to Aaron Judge. So a lot of baseball left, but... Not very good in the first inning for that to happen. Uh, but they'll bounce back. Shane Bieber's not going to just let the floodgates flow. Uh, but moving on. This day in sports history, what do you have for me, my man? Uh, we have a big one. This is September 30th, 1927. Um, oh, my, my apologies. 1934. Babe Ruth's final game as a New York Yankee. Babe Ruth goes 0 for 3. Now, that might not sound good, but when you're talking about uh, considered the greatest baseball player ever, Babe Ruth, uh, he broke the home run record. I mean, it's been broken since, but yeah. he set the home run record with 714 home runs. He had 2,873 hits. His batting average was 342. Now, granted, he could not play. In, I mean, maybe he could. I mean, you see Pablo Sandoval. He's still playing. So maybe Babe Ruth could play in uh, the league nowadays, but... Um, then he went back to the Boston Braves. We all know the story about the curse of the Bambino when it was an overnight trade between the Red Sox and the Yankees in 1919 where they traded Babe Ruth. The curse happened 1919 until 2004. They didn't win a single World Series. Uh, guess who broke that? Terry Francona. But seven-time... World, World Series champion, 15, 16, 18, 23, 27, 28, and 32. He was only MVP once, and he was only the AL batting champion once. And he was MVP in 23 and batting champion in 24, but he was a 12-time AL home run leader and an 8-time AL RBI leader. Um, has, obviously has his jersey number retired with the Yankees. Uh, old Yankee Stadium was referred to as the house that Babe built. Um, loved eating hot dogs, drinking beer, smoking cigars, and hanging out with women. Um, George Herman Babe Ruth. What else can you say? I mean, he's just an icon in baseball. Granted, he was a Yankee, and that kind of is not very cool. But it's it's something you have to look past with Babe Ruth. Uh, one of the one of the all time best uh, to ever do it. Uh, still, you think about it. Movies were made about it, about him. The Sandlot, one of my all-time favorite movies, was just sending around losing a ball that he signed. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, just anybody who knows baseball or even don't even know baseball knows the name of Babe Ruth. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Babe Ruth is Babe Ruth is one of those names that extend beyond the fandom of of the sport of baseball, and go goes into pop culture almost uh synonymous with with the yankees synonymous with old-time baseball and all of those other things 
you you think of Babe Ruth, you also think of Lou Gehrig. You think of Lou Gehrig, you think of Babe Ruth. You think of Mickey Mantle, you think of Babe Ruth. You think of just all of that sort of stuff leads you back to Babe Ruth. And for his, for, for his last game back in, you said, 34 to be on September 30th, we wanted to just talk about that a little bit, uh, considering what he was to the game of baseball, especially yeah, back, back then. And, I mean, even the every, – every kid – has done this and that's a fact they every kid has called their shot when they get to the plate because of the legend of Babe Ruth calling his shot yeah I believe that was at League Park no, or I could be wrong um, but yes Babe Ruth is a uh, absolute icon in 93 they said he was tied with Muhammad Ali as the biggest sports celebrity, or most recognized sports celebrity. Yeah, you you would say so. Muhammad Ali is, uh, and and they kind of have their different kind of ways to go about it. Muhammad Ali uh, is recognized because of what he did in the sport of boxing and outside of the sport of boxing in terms of civil rights and things like that. Babe Ruth is very just well known for what he did in baseball. What do you got for me? Um, so he called it a shot at Wrigley Field. He hit his 500th home run at League Park in Cleveland. Okay. So, I mean, two, uh... Two just little tidbits about Babe Ruth. So that was, uh, this week in sports history. Um, Got anything else for me, my man? You can follow me on Twitter at ETHSimpsonCGOD. You can follow me on Instagram at ETH Simpson. You can follow me on Twitter at BWardCLE. You could follow me on Instagram, B.Ward52. Go ahead and give us a follow at the podcast, twitter.com, on Twitter at Podcast Given, on Instagram at Any Given Podcast. Give us a follow on Facebook, facebook.com slash Any Given Podcast. And please do not forget to subscribe to the YouTube. We would love your support. Thank you very much for tuning in to Any Given Podcast. This has been episode 22. You guys have a fantastic rest of your week. God bless. Stay blessed.